chapter 1. Uh, your bulletin is actually mistaken. It's actually verses 16 and 17. I changed it sort of at the kind of last minute. But uh, what I want to do this morning, well, first of all, my goal is um, whenever I uh, have the opportunity to speak and, and to preach, I want to walk through this whole book. So that may take 20 years, Lord, if the Lord should spare me and spare you, um, or it could take a lot less. I don't know. But when I have the chance to speak, I hope to kind of walk through this whole letter. And so this morning, my goal is to give sort of a, a framework for as we dive into this le- letter in the future, or even you on your own as you're reading this letter, how to get a sense, a lay of the land of what is really going on in the letter of Romans that Paul writes um, to the Roman church. So if you have your Bible, please turn there to chapter 1. Uh, and we're, again, we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17 this morning. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. These words are easy for us to miss the significance of what's going on in them. Because it's easy for us to to disassociate the words of the letter from the historical reality in which they were written. They were written over 2,000 years, well, about 2,000 years ago. And it's easy for us to just see them as ideas or as um, just terms like righteousness of God and to miss what was going on, what Paul was referencing in his very real time and place. You and I are very real people. Now, someday our bones will be in the ground and this church, who knows, it could be a, uh, a disco theater in 20 years or 500 years. I just want to be a joke, sorry. Um, <laughs> Who knows, right? Who knows what might happen to this building or this or Katy, Texas? For all we know, in 500 years, the Canadians now run Texas. We don't know. <laughs> I got a few rises out of that. I got to wake you up a little bit. The point is that no one's going to know what it was like to be in our place in time at this moment in history 500 years from now, or especially 2,000 years from now. And so it's easy for us to miss what Paul is saying has happened in his lifetime among the lives of very real, normal people like you and me. So my goal is that, because Romans has lots of ideas, and one of, the, one of the, 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 the catch-22s, or however you want to call it, that we can fall into, the traps we can fall into when we read the letter of Romans, is because we are Protestants, no, no amens on that, because we are Protestants, we, we, we tend to read the letter of Romans through the legacy of the Reformation, and we should. It, is, it was a huge, I mean, it was the thing that really uh, God used to, to, to push Martin Luther and the other Reformers to, to have a great awakening of the gospel. But the downside of that is we can think of Romans as only about ideas. And Romans is, is about a set of abstract theological principles that we just need to sort of learn and, and we disassociate it from what Paul is trying to tell us has happened in history. So all the things that, that he's going to talk about that God has done through Jesus 
have huge significance for theology and what we believe. However, we don't want to disassociate the theology of Romans from the reality of the fact that Paul is talking about real events that happened in his time, that are about what God has done in history and how that then applies to me as a person. He says, to begin with, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you stand back for a moment and think about who Paul is, that he could write that statement, it ought to blow your mind. Paul is, by ethnic descent, a Jew. And as he says in other places, he's a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He spent his entire life, up until God called him, being a Pharisee, immersing himself in Jewish thought and culture and life, preparing himself to be an authoritative teacher among the Jews. They inherited the promises that for thousands of years, they are God's people. Along with that, they inherited, as we've been going through in the Psalms, the promises that one day God was going to send a Messiah. So for Paul to say that, and by the way, we will talk about the gospel in a minute, that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is a paradigm change that you and I can barely comprehend about what he is saying God is doing. He is saying to them, our God, Yahweh, who for thousands of years has covenanted with our people in Israel, and, and, and all of the temple and all that that entails, that something has happened and that this God is now at work among all peoples of the world. People that, from the Jewish mindset, they never would have thought would have anything to do with God. God is now saving. If you talk to Paul, 50 or however many years when he was a Pharisee, and you told him, that all around the Roman world, Gentiles were going to start following Yahweh, not only would he have laughed in your face, but he would have cursed you. Because that was antithetical to everything that he understood about who God was and what God was doing. So, and by the way, this, I'm not just uh, making that up. Go read Acts. You see how Paul responds to the early Christians. He is out there actually arresting them. For him to declare that this gospel, which we'll talk about in a minute, is the power of God, his God, for salvation to everyone, everyone, anyone who believes. And then specifically he names to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is a paradigm shift that has happened in his life that we can barely even comprehend. For him to be able to say this, that his God is now at work saving people from all tribes and tongues and nations outside the Jews is a huge cosmic, historically changing paradigm shift of who Yahweh is in his own mind, in his own understanding. I mean, I can't even begin, I don't think we can even begin to appreciate how big of a shift this was for Paul. So let, let's back up for a minute. When he says he's not ashamed of the gospel, so what is this gospel that is now the power of God to save everyone, Jew first and the Greek? Well, 
I suggest to you a, a good summary that, we, that I can summarize from what he says throughout Romans is this. That God sent the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to secure redemption for his people from slavery to sin and death by dying in their place on the cross. And that in affirmation of this victory, three days later, he was raised from the dead by the Spirit and appointed the head of God's covenant people. That all who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins and become fellow heirs along with him of all that is coming in the new heavens and new earth. That's a lot. I'm going to say it one more time. I think one way that you could describe or summarize the gospel, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is this. First of all, that God has sent the Messiah. That's the most important part. God has sent the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. And why did he send them? To secure redemption for his people. Redemption from what? From slavery to sin and death. And how did he do that? By dying in their place on the cross. And that in affirmation of this victory, three days later, the Messiah was raised from the dead by the Spirit. And at that point, he was appointed to be the head of God's covenant people. And that all who believe in him will receive forgiveness of sins and become fellow heirs along with him of all that is coming in the new heavens and new earth. Now that might feel like a mouthful, but what I hope you hear in all of that is that the gospel is not just a set of ideas. Listen, I love Tulip. I love the Westminster Confession of Faith. I love doctrine. I love ideas. But the gospel is not just a a philosophical system. It's not just a set of religious abstract beliefs that you adhere to because you're told to. The gospel in Greek just means good news. And it's not a religious word. It's not a word, like, I know we use it in a religious context. Most of us don't go out in the street, although there actually are, are books now, that, you know, the gospel of barbecue, that sort of thing. But in, in, in Greek, this word would have been used in everyday language to just refer to good news. I have good news for you. That would be the word euangelion in Greek. It's not a particularly Christian word. And when you share good news, it is about something that has happened. For example, the despots have good news, right? Their daughter got engaged yesterday. That's good news. We celebrate good news. But good news is about events that have happened in time and place in history. So when Paul talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's not talking specifically about a set of ideas. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of the good news The good news that is what God has done. What God has done in sending Jesus Christ and in dying on the cross and in raising him from the dead and and by all of that, reconciling us to himself. I want to start, the reason why I start with these verses, I will go back to the the rest of chapter 1 next time, But I wanted to start here because we have to change, I think, our mindset of how we think about our faith. We have to understand that our faith, first and foremost, is rooted in who God really is and what he's really done. And then that then applies to me personally as I believe. And I think that's so critical because, I don't know about you, but I find that one of the biggest challenges for Christians 
is to say I believe in Jesus, but my head is filled with all kinds of bad news. And I say I believe in Jesus, and I can recite to you, you know, confessions of faith and ideas about justification by faith and and all those great things, but what is really filling my head? What is really guiding my emotions? Because I would suggest that for me, one of the biggest challenges is to really actually live out of the reality that this really happened and that it really matters in time and history. Because it's far easier for me to feed off of bad news because the world is full of bad news. And I got news for you, it always has been. Ever since Adam and Eve, the world is always going to be filled with bad news. Bad news that ha- politics, uh, science, War, I mean, you name, you take your pick, and then, of course, personal bad news. Financial disappointments, job loss, uh, marital issues, um, obviously, uh, disease and tragedy and death. Our lives and our world are filled with bad news. So this is why it's so critical to understand what Paul is saying about what he, when he means I'm not ashamed of the gospel, to get first and foremost that he's talking about news, good news. And that what Paul is saying is that his whole life is lived out of that good news. If you go read the book of Acts or you read his letters, you, you know that in Paul's life it was filled with bad news. Here's a few things that Paul's life was filled with. Uh, being arrested on multiple occasions for preaching the gospel. That's, that's bad news. Um, he talks about having a thorn in his side, some sort of a personal affliction that we don't know about. That's bad news. In Philippians, he talks about that, you know, the one that people always uh, like to quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, he's talking about that through times where he has plenty financially and materially and times where he's in want. Paul got bad news when he got news from churches that were enmeshed in conflict. He got bad news from folks who were saying, Paul, we basically hate your guts and we think you're a false teacher. He got bad news all of the time. But that bad news was not what shaped his life. What shaped his life was the solid foundation that nothing can shake which is what God has done through Jesus Christ. That's what drove Paul in his life. Which is why, I don't know about you, but I've always found, from the very beginning when I read Romans the first time, that first phrase, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he even say that? Because you're only, you only say I'm not ashamed of something because something is telling you you should be ashamed of it. Right? Like, you don't say, I'm not ashamed of, you know, uh, winning, the, winning the World Series. That doesn't make any sense. There'd be no reason for you to be ashamed of that. But you might say, you know, I don't know. Um, I can't give a good example. You'd only, you'd only say this phrase if there was a reason in your life that you, you could feel shame for that. And Paul, as I said, with all the bad news, had lots of reasons because of all that was going on in his life and in the world around him, for being tempted to feel ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is not politically powerful. It's not personally going to lead you to success. 
It's not an easy road. But Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And for one reason and one reason only. Because it alone is the power of God for salvation. At the end of the day, no matter what happens in our lives, the one truth that is true is that only the gospel, only Jesus Christ, is the power of God for salvation. Nothing else matters in the end. And this is what anchored Paul, I think, through the good days and the bad days, through the successful days and the days where he felt like a failure, was the the knowledge that only the gospel, only that, was was, was what God used to save people, that you had to believe in the gospel. And in the end, that was all that mattered in life. So what I want for us to see and to to grab hold of is for Paul what it was like for him to proclaim these truths and how radical it was for him. Because I think for us it is just so easy, that's that's fine by the way, to forget that he's saying these things that, that happened in his own real life and in those around him. So I want to focus for a moment though on this phrase, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because as we get into Romans, we're going to see how critical it is to understand that for Paul, this is a really big deal. And I think we tend to minimize how big of a deal it is to our own personal detriment. You see, I think we tend to minimize how big of a deal it is, the social ramifications of the gospel. Meaning we tend to, and rightly so we should, celebrate and emphasize the personal ramifications of the gospel that I am saved by grace through faith that's a really big deal however we live in a world that is torn apart torn apart by hatred by greed by corruption and by all kinds of sin and what's incredible here if you were to read this phrase again talking about Paul in his context to the Jew first and also to the Greek there are so many reasons why this should be uh, mind-blowing. First of all, the Jews and the Greeks did not get along. From the Jewish perspective, you did not associate yourselves with the Greeks. Now, Greek here means, it's, it's, you might be saying, why is he picking on the Greeks? And if you're, if you're out of the context, it might seem very strange. Why doesn't he say somebody else? Because in his world that he grew up in, the, that world was shaped by Greek thought Greek culture, Greek way of life. I won't get into history for you, but basically Alexander the Great conquered all of that area at one point in time. And after he went on, um, after he, he died pretty early, but that, that whole area that he conquered was divided up among four generals and they became four kingdoms that basically warred with each other for hundreds of years. And through all of that, Greek culture and life kind of shaped the Mediterranean world. And so, and, but beyond that, and this is what's so, um, I was just, just this morning even thinking about this, what's so radical here, is that the Greeks also conquered and ruled over Jerusalem and Judea for a good long period of time. The Jews did not like the Greeks. To be a good Jew basically puts you in opposition to the Greeks for a number of reasons. There was a... Um, one of the, uh, the kings or rulers of, of one of the Greek empires, when uh, you know, uh, Jerusalem kind of went back and forth for a while, well, they did not like the Jews very much. And one of them, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, 
got so fed up with Jews that he went into the temple and he, uh, and he desecrated it. He sacrificed, I believe it was a pig on it. Which pigs are dirty animals in and, and, and Jewish culture. And this was seen as, as an incredible defilement of the temple. And uh, that actually was what led to the uprising and they, they kicked the Greeks out and that's why they have Hanukkah today. But all that to say is, when Paul talks about the Jew and the Greek here, this would make a Jewish person bristle. They would not like this idea. Because historically speaking, they were not a big fan of Greek culture and the Greeks in general because of all the history going on. Now, I know, you, I know you're saying, Jonathan, I don't need a history lesson. But the point is, what I want you to see is we also live in a place in history, don't we? There are people that you and I are supposed to not like. There are peoples that we're taught to hate. Peoples that we're taught to think those people deserve God's judgment. Now that could be uh, political stuff, right? Political groups. It could be uh, racial groups. You could be have raised in a setting where you were taught to hate a certain skin color or a certain ethnicity. But all of us personally have sin that leads us to, to personally hold biases against certain groups of people or even individual people. So when you, I know, this is why the Bible is so awesome. When you see the phrase, to the Jew first and to the Greek, you should be thinking to yourself, how does the gospel and what God has done cut into my heart and my own tendency to want to kick people out of potential for salvation? How, how am I wired to hate certain people or certain groups? How am I taught in my culture to hate certain people or certain groups? What Paul is saying here is that what God is doing and what he has done through Jesus Christ cuts through all of that. And if you don't think that's hard, let's go read some, I won't do it for you right now, but you can go read some church history. It is enormously hard to live out this reality personally and even socially. To really believe and to live in such a way that the gospel is for everyone who believes. To really live that out will make you, put you in the position of Paul. Where you have to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What I mean by that is, if you really live that out in your life, that the gospel is for everyone who believes, you are going to be ostracized from the world. Okay? The world is about dividing people up. Whether it's economically, socially, you, you name it. I mean, it all comes in all together. So if you personally live in such a way that the gospel is for everyone who believes, meaning you treat everyone as someone whom God can save. You treat everyone as someone whom, the way God has treated you. If you really live that out, you are going to not make a lot of friends in the world around you. You know, if you think about American history, you know, what would have happened if Christians really lived that out? If you think about world history and Christian history, anywhere you go, living this principle out, that the gospel is, is, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
it, it, it completely breaks down all of the systems that are filled with anger, hate, violence, oppression, you name it. And we have to start here because all the rest of Romans is going to be Paul unpacking what God has done. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's not just about a set of abstract ideas that we, that we memorize and then we say, okay, I got it. If we really want to know if we're living this out in our lives, can we echo the statement of Paul that we have fully embraced what God has done and the ramifications for it, for ourselves, and the way we live and treat other people? And then last, I'm going to close with this, and then we will get back to these verses in the end. But why does Paul say all this? He says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What Paul will tell us in Romans is that all people, whether you think yourself good or not so good, whether you think of someone else as good or not so good, all people stand equally condemned by God for their sin. You and me and every one of us stand equally condemned by God for our sin. And through the gospel and what God has done through Jesus Christ, by dying for our sin, when we believe in Him, we are made fully and completely righteous in the eyes of God. Made totally righteous. And that is why Paul can say, that the gospel is for Jews and Greeks. Because in his mindset, he is naming a whole set of people that the Jews would have said, those people are really, really wicked, evil people. And Paul is, going to, Paul is saying, if you read the book of Romans, if that, if, no matter who you are, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are completely and totally and perfectly made right with God. So a few quick applications. First of all, as we get into the letter of Romans, which won't be right now, uh, but as we go through the book, what I want you and for me to not lose sight of in the midst of the language and the, some of the dense argumentation is that all of it is connected to real people, just like you and me. And that as we, as we understand what Paul is teaching in this letter, it really will change our lives. It's not just about a set of, you believe these things to, to, to check boxes. If you really understand the realities of what Paul is teaching, you become a different kind of person. A person like no other person on earth. I've kind of hit one of those things this morning. First and foremost, you are a person that treats every other human being with dignity. And you even are willing to take personal uh, risk to do so to treat people with dignity that your tribe or your family or your nation tells you to not treat with dignity to treat people with honor and respect and to even treat people with love that you have every reason not to love whether that's social stuff or personal stuff to treat people that and i've been studying uh, luke uh, yeah luke to treat people that personally ought to be your enemy with love can only happen as you enter into the reality of all that God has done for us. And that's what the book of Romans is about. 
And then finally, I want to encourage you and me. And part of why I want to start with verses 16 and 17 is this. As I already hinted at earlier. Uh, in light of COVID and everything, I think too many of us are way too focused on all the negative news that's going on in our world. Also, whether you're liberal or conservative, too many of us are feeding on the hate and anger that is so rampant in our culture. We are being trained as Americans to hate other people all the time. I hope you know that. That when you turn on CNN or Fox News, you are being trained to hate other people. And that when you, and that uh, just our own sinful hearts, our own personal lives, we have our own flesh that loves to feel good about ourselves by hating other people. We can only become changed people as the reality of what God has done through Jesus Christ sinks in. So to that end, I'm going to close this actually on what we read this morning, because uh, I liked it so much, in the letter of Titus. And you're welcome to see if you have your Bible to turn there too, because this is Paul saying everything that, that I just said, only so much better. If you have your Bible, you're going to turn there to Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to close with this. Here's what Paul says, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 of Titus. Remember, remind them, that's the, the church in, in uh, Crete, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You can go home and read those, but that is Paul saying what I just said in a much better way. So I look forward to going on this journey with you, and I hope that you, along with me, find it personally meaningful and life-changing. Let me pray for us. Dear God, in my own heart, I know how easy it is to live as if the gospel doesn't exist. I know how easy it is to hold to a set of religious ideas and and God, I'm a pastor, and it's easy for me to hold to a set of religious ideas, but not really living according to them. To letting fear, anxiety, anger, as Paul says, malice, bitterness, and other negative thoughts be what truly guide my heart, what are truly shaping my life. And how easy it is for me, God, to say, yes, I believe the gospel, but I also need this. And I also want that. And to really, truly, honestly, letting myself say, along with Paul, that because of the gospel, I have no reason to fear, 
No reason to worry. And every reason to rejoice in what you have done. I pray God for myself and for my brothers and sisters here that as we, as we live in a world that is full of negative news and anger and bitterness and malice and judgmentalism and self-righteousness, that the gospel would be our anchor and our guide and that as we live out our lives, people would see the realities of who you are and what you've done in us. In Jesus' name, amen.